Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's focus on our sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. Always wonderful to share some ideas with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And today is not just any Wednesday afternoon, but today is the third day of the wonderful festival of Hanukkah, this beautiful and powerful uh, time of the year where we um, think about and, and try and understand the importance, the significance, the depth of the holy festival of Hanukkah. I want to start out talking a little bit about Yosef HaTzadik and his brothers, uh, the Torah uh, Parashios are now dealing with that, and that will lead us into Hanukkah, and we'll try and get an insight and understanding into the significance and relevance of this uh, beautiful Chag, the festival of light and uh, holy festival of Hanukkah. So let's start out with trying to understand, the Torah tells us in last week's Parashios, Parashios Vayeshev, that um, Yosef brings the Dibasam Hara, the bad report, to their father. And Vayavo Yosef is Dibasam Ra El Avihim. And what was the Dibasam Ra? So our sages explain that Yaakov told Yosef he needs to go out into the fields, he needs to be a shepherd together with his brothers. And he sent him to be a shepherd with the Bnei Leah, the sons of Leah. And when Yosef arrived, so the Bnei Leah were older than him, and they saw that their father had a soft place in his heart for this light Lamaki, for this young Yosef. And they said, you can't just hang with us. You can't just, you know, be elevated to the position of being in our company. You have to work your way up. First, you must be a shepherd with the B'nai Shvachos, with the sons of the handmaids. And only then can you, after a few years of having been in the fields with them, can you then be promoted to be with us. And Yosef didn't like that. And Yosef was put out by that. And Yosef went to then complain to their father Yaakov and to say that his brothers will not accept him, his brothers will not um, allow him to be with them. And Yosef wasn't prepared to do the hard work and work his way up. The Torah then immediately tells us that Yosef has a dream. Yosef's dream, his first dream, is that he dreams that um, all of the brothers and himself, they all have their harvesting in the fields and they each harvest a sheaf, a sheaf of grain, of wheat, and all of their sheaves are sitting down and Yosef's sheaf is standing up. Is um, Yosef's sheaf, sheaf is uh, vertical and all of theirs are horizontal. Theirs are all bowing down to him. That's what he tells his brothers quite naively doesn't think they'll have any issue with it. That's what he tells his father. And the brothers then respond to that. And the Pasuk says, in Perek Lamed Zayin, Pasuk Ches, and his brothers say to him, are you going to rule over us? Are you going to dominate us? And they continued to hate him. They continue to hate him for his dreams and for his words, for what he said. 
So the Chasm Soif has got such a beautiful explanation of this. Why does the Pasuk say they hated him for his dreams and for what he says? Because the Chasm Soif says those two things were in contradiction with one another. His dreams were that he would rule over them and that he would dominate them. But he, uh, well, what are his words? His words to their father are he's not prepared to do the hard work. He's not prepared to start from the bottom. He's not prepared to work his way up. And so the brother said, you can't have it both ways. You can't rule over us and be the leader and the king and not be prepared to put in the hard work and to go through the the pain and the suffering and the hardship in order to build yourself up and to be a leader. So you can't have it both ways. It's kind of like our generation. We want it all and we want it now. We live in a superficial generation of instant gratification and we're not prepared to put in the time and the work and the blood, sweat, and tears in order to achieve um, greatness. As the Mishnah Empirika Avu says, Lefum schara agra, according to the effort is the reward. According to how much effort we put in in life, so is the, uh, or the dividends and the fruits that we reap from those efforts. Hazorim badim barini yaksori, if we, if we, uh, sow the seeds with tears, we will harvest them with joy. We will rejoice over the harvest. And that is a true principle, as we know, with regards to any aspect of our lives, that the more we put in, the more we get out. I used to have a soccer coach who used to say, he used to train us very hard. We used to suffer. And he used to say, the more you put in, the more you get out, like a bank account. Um, and that's the truth about everything in life. When we put in the effort, when we put in the hard work, when we put in the blood, sweat, and tears, so then we can develop and we can... Um, achieve, but we can't expect to get it on a silver platter. We can't expect for it to be handed to us without putting in the hard work. So that was the Chasm Sofa says that was the that was the issue that the brothers had. Allah he has dreams that he wants to be a great leader and that we should all be subservient to him. But Al Devara, but he's not prepared to. He's complaining that we putting him in the fields with the shvachos to in order to work himself up and do the hard work. So that's a great life lesson. And it's a, the Chassam Sofer says, this is the, the lesson we should learn from that, is that when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through hardship, when we're facing challenges in our lives, it's so important that we realize that that is part of the process. The difficulty and the crisis is often what brings out our potential is the means for our development and for our growth. And as the Hassan Soifer said, he said the way, the pathway to kingship for Yosef was through suffering and through hardship. He was through the Besar Surim, was through the fact that he had to spend time in jail. Only because he spent, and he spent 12 years in an Egyptian jail. That's a long time. It's a lot of suffering. Um, in order to get to the position of being king, he had to go through that darkness and that suffering, and that's what the the brothers are emphasizing to him. So a, it is really a wonderful and valuable lesson for all of us, is that we don't look for suffering and hardship, but when it comes our way, and usually it does, so we realize that that is through this hardship, through the labor pains. So the child is born, a woman goes through in excruciating pain during labor, and the result is the birth of a child which is absolutely indescribable, the miracles and the joy and the light and the potential of a, of a child in this world. In order for Mashiach to come, so we have to go through the birth pangs of Mashiach, Chevle Mashiach, 
the hard times that the world goes through in order to give birth to the Messianic age, which is what we're going through right now in the world, as we see very clearly around us. In order for a seed to grow, when a seed is planted in the ground, in order for that seed to produce and to grow, at first disintegrates. At first has to, the, the shell disintegrates and disappears, and then the, she, the seed and the plant could sprout, could come from that seed. So that is the cycle. That's the way life works. There's no shortcuts, and we all have to put in the time and the effort and the suffering. And that really um, is the same for Ruchnitz or spirituality. If we want to grow spiritually, so we have to put in our time. We have to suffer, and we have to work hard. We have to work hard with regards to um, our governing. We have to work hard with regards to our learning of Torah. We have to work hard with regards to our doing mitzvahs, our commitment to do mitzvahs. We have to push through those barriers and put in the time and the effort, and then we will develop, then we will grow, and then we'll see the rewards. That's the, with our middles too, with our character traits. We have to work on our middles, work on our character, have self-control, and then we will see the benefits of developing that character. And that's um, actually a, a, one of the things that I, I love about professional sport. Um, I am a big soccer fan. I used to play a lot of soccer when I was younger. still play a little bit, but now um, age is catching up with me. But one of the wonderful things about professional sport, and, I, and particularly about soccer, uh, but it applies to all professional sports, is that the, the media tends to glamorize um, sport. And we see the glamorous side of the sports personalities and of their achievements. But in order for them to get there, they have to work incredibly hard. They really have to die on that field in order to train and to be at the ultimate levels of fitness in order to perform the way they do. So we, we often, you know, the media tends to ignore that and overlooks that. But in order for them to get to those levels, they have to pay the price and work very, very hard. They train very, very hard. There's no question about it. And that's a beautiful marshal for life. It's a beautiful parable for all of life. If we want to develop and grow in any aspect of our lives, we have to put in the time and the effort. That's what Yosef's brothers were saying to him, and that's what they were. That's what irked them. That's what got to them. That's what irritated them about him, is that he wanted to have the glory without putting in the effort and the hard work. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We've been talking about Yosef and his brothers and the fact that Yosef's brothers were irritated um, by Yosef's behavior. He didn't want to put in the hard work in order to achieve greatness. And he had to, they were right, that in order for Yosef to come out as a leader, he had to go through difficulty and hardship and suffering. They never envisioned the extent of the suffering Yosef would have to go through, and they never envisioned the extent of the prominence that he would achieve being to RC, to Paro, being the most powerful man in the world. Pharaoh was king, and he was prime minister of Egypt, which was the superpower. He really had a tremendous amount of power and controlled the whole region, Yosef. So um, the brothers didn't expect that it would go that far, but they knew the pattern and they knew the principle. And so Yosef was in jail, as I mentioned earlier, for 12 years in an Egyptian jail. And the time then came, Yosef, he, he goes through different experiences there. He hears the uh, dreams of the royal butler and the royal baker. 
he interprets those dreams, his interpretation was accurate. The butler, as Yosef correctly said, would be released and would be pouring drinks once more for, for Pharaoh um, in, in a short amount of time, and the baker would be executed as he was. And so when Pharaoh has his own dreams, and he is perplexed by these dreams that repeat themselves, and he goes to all the necromancers and all the clairvoyance uh, people in Egypt to try and interpret his dream, but unfortunately, nobody has a a proper a, a solution, a, a interpretation that Pharaoh uh, deems to be acceptable. And so that was when the butler remembers. Oh gosh, yes, I remember. He 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 remembered Yosef. Yosef actually asked him as soon as you get out, please remember me. Try get me out. But it says Mikach time. This week's parsha is Mikach. Mikach time. After two years, after there's been a um, a uh, Delay of two years. So the butler remembers that Yosef has this ability to interpret the dreams. And he goes to um, Paro. And he says, you know what? I have somebody who was in jail with me who I think would probably he interpreted my dream accurately and will be able to interpret these dreams. And so he um, finds Yosef. And it says that they, the Rotsetsu, that they brought him out swiftly and quickly to bring him to Paro to interpret Paro's dream. And our sages tell us that Yosef, they were in a big hurry. Yosef wasn't in such a big hurry. Because Yosef knew that it's all Menashemine. He knew that, you know, the time in jail was sent, was God sent. He had to be there. It was part of his journey, his growth. And the time in, um, the time to go out would be God sent is in Bayad Hashem, in Hashem's hands. And that's how the world works. Of course, he, he would embrace this opportunity. But he wouldn't become flustered from it, and he wouldn't be too, you know, bothered by it, um, too too taken up by it. And that is really one of the powerful messages of Hanukkah as well. On Hanukkah, and the morale says, why is it that the emphasis on Hanukkah is lighting the menorah and is the candles? Because um, there were miracles in the war. The war was absolutely miraculous. We know that in Hanukkah. When the Greeks were, which were the superpower of those times, in 175 before the Common Era, Alexander had conquered the whole world. Alexander died. Um, the Greek Empire split into two, and then we had the Northern Empire um, in 200 before the Common Era, um, conquering and taking over the Southern Empire, the Empire of Ptolemy, and the Israel was was ruled by the Southern Empire. And now you had Antiochus the Third who ruled in 175 before the Common Era. Antiochus the Fourth took over. And he was oppressive to the Jews, and he was threatened by Judaism, and he understood that the Jewish view of life in the world was the antithesis of Greek culture, of Greek philosophy, of the Greek way, and Greek understanding of the purpose of life in this world. And therefore, he oppressed the Jews to the extent that Jews couldn't keep mitzvahs, they couldn't remain, there was no religious freedom, they couldn't remain observant Jews, they were persecuted for keeping the mitzvahs by death. If Jews were caught observing mitzvahs, observing the commandments of God, they were killed, they were executed. And so Metisiyahu and his five sons stood up and were not prepared to, they realized that there was just no way to go on. They couldn't carry on with these terrible circumstances and situations that the Jewish people were subject to. And they staged a rebellion against the Greeks. And they were very small in number, with Matisiao and his five sons, 
Yonasan, Yehuda, Shimon, Eliezer, and Yochanan, and they began to um, attack the Greeks. They they started a rebel army, and they ambushed the Greek soldiers, and they uh, tried to recruit. They went around the country in order to recruit, and they were able to find um, individuals that were prepared to join them, to join their ranks, and to wage war against the Greek occupiers. And the wars were absolutely miraculous. The wars were just supernatural. They were beyond description how they succeeded. They were a very small number, a, a weak band of soldiers. They were Talmud and They were rabbis and Kohanim. They weren't Navy SEALs. They weren't these trained soldiers. Yet they learned how to, with, with great chokhmah, they were very smart in their strategy, and they ambushed the Greeks. And But even within those ambushes and even within those skirmishes that they chose to engage in, um, there were tremendous miracles. Uh, the the Rokeach says there was one battle where there were um, 20 of them versus um, 50,000 Greek soldiers. The Greek soldiers fired arrows at them, and um, Hashem sent Malachim to turn the arrows around. And each arrow turned around and went back into and hit the Greek soldier that fired that arrow, which was quite incredible. It was absolutely miraculous. So that was the, that's what happened. That was the, the nature of the wars and the nature of these battles. And, um, and so the Maral asks, why is it on Hanukkah that we emphasize the, the lighting of the candles, the miracle of the, of the oil more than any of the other miracles that took place at that time, which were as significant and, um, as revealing of God's power and God's control. And, uh, so as we know, the, the miracle of the oil was that they came to the Greeks had defiled the temple. They came to the temple and they found one jar of oil with the chasima, with the, the signature of the congado, which means it was a pure jar of oil. It took them another seven days in order to develop enough oil to be able to, um, to be able to use for the lighting of the menorah. But this single, uh, container of oil Lost that it was only enough oil to last for one day, to light the menorah for one day, but it lasted eight days of the menorah burned for eight days with this single jar of oil, and that was absolutely miraculous. So the, the way we celebrate Hanukkah is that we light our menorah every night. We have an obligation, all of us, we all should be doing this. Um, here in the exile in Galus, we don't light at the entrance to our homes on the street, but rather we light inside our homes. The correct place to light is the entrance to your dining room or the room that you're going to be in at that time, um, which it's now the candle lighting time here in Johannesburg is five past seven in the evening. So usually it is supper time. So one should light opposite the mezuzah in the doorway of your dining room. You should have a, a slow table, which is below a meter. The candles should be below a meter, but above 30 centimeters because we're not getting benefit from the light, but we're lighting for the mitzvah and light the menorah on that table opposite the, the mezuzah as you enter into the dining room. And uh, preferably one should use olive oil because the, the miracle was done through the olive oil. And so we like to uh, remember that. And our lighting is a zeicher, is a remembrance of that miracle. So it's much better to do, uh, use olive oil. If you don't have olive oil, so you can use um, you can use candles. But make sure the candles burn for at least half an hour. The minimum amount of time that they burn for needs to be a half an hour. And um, 
So that's the mitzvah of lighting a menorah. But says the Maral, the, the way we remember, we say that Hashem did miracles. Hashem uh, performed miracles for our forefathers. In those days at this time. So the miracles, we refer to the miracles of the oil. We don't refer to the miracles of the war. So the Maral says, why? Why don't we do anything to remember the war? The miracles were as dramatic and incredible, supernatural as they were of the oil. The Maral answers and he says something beautiful, such a powerful thing. He says, because the war had human involvement. Although it was won only through Siata Tashmaya and by the, the grace of God with Hashem's assistance, but one could easily misread that and interpret that it was our might and our power and the great military strategy and prowess of the Hashmonaim. Although that wasn't true, but we could easily um, make that mistake. But when it comes to the oil, there's no room for error. When it comes to the oil, it was entirely beyond Hashem. The miracles of the oil were entirely performed by God. And there was no other way to explain it. It wasn't because any person did anything. This oil that was only enough to burn for one day burns for eight days. So we see the miracle was entirely from Hashem. And that's to show us that everything is from Hashem. That God runs the world. That it's all Minashamayim. Yes, we do our shtadlus. Yes, we try and do the best we can in any given area of our lives. But the success that we achieve is all Minashamayim. It all comes from above. It comes from heaven. And that's what Hanukkah is showing us. Is that Hanukkah is a time when we're revealing the hidden miracles. It's a time when we are lighting up the light, those candles and showing that it's God's hand that runs, that, that uh, conducts all that happens in the world. And we are showing, we are reminding ourselves and showing the world, of the miracles that what we think is hidden is really God's hand, it's God's doing. And God runs the entire world. So that's, that says the Maharal. That's why the emphasis in Hanukkah is on lighting the menorah and not on the wall because we want to learn this lesson that God is in full control of everything and all that happens in our lives is, is through the miraculous control and guidance of God's hand. And that's what Yosef was doing. Yosef knew that if it was time for him to go out, he didn't have to run like they were in a frenzy. The, the, Egyptians who were taking him to Paro and they took him out quickly and they cut his hair and they presented him to the king. But Yosef was quite relaxed. He was calm because he realized that it's all min Hashemayim. Hashem controls everything and Hashem controls the world. So that's something that we should learn from and realize that we, yes, we put in our effort as best we can, but we trust and understand that the results are all min Hashemayim. They all come from Hashem. So that leads us to another fascinating question. With regards to Hanukkah. And that is where, so we're saying the morale tell us, tells us that we're remembering the miracles of the oil. And that was, that's the mitzvah of Hanukkah that we all are obligated to light at 7.05 tonight. Those, uh, the menorah, the Hanukkah menorah, remembering those great mitzvahs that had, that happened at that time. Um, so the question is, why then do we light for eight days? We've just said that they, they found a jar that contained oil. The pure olive oil with the uh, s- uh, signature, the sign of the Kohen Gadol. And it was enough oil to burn for one day. So, and it burned for the one day plus another seven days. But the miracle was only seven days. There was enough oil for one day. The miracle of the oil was for the seven days that followed. So why then 
when we celebrate Hanukkah and we remember those miracles, do we light for eight days? We should only light for seven days because the miracle only happened for seven days. That's the famous kasha of the Beis Yosef, of Rav Yosef Karov, the great author of the Shulchan Aruch. And he brings many different answers to that question, the Beis Yosef. He's got many wonderful answers to that brilliant question. One of his answers is that the first day we light, we show that even the first day is miraculous. For oil to burn is miraculous. It's a nice, it's a miracle. Hashem set up the properties of the world that we live in. And Hashem made the oil in a way that it should burn. That is also miraculous. So the first day is miraculous, the miracles of nature. And the other seven days are the miracles of, of, of this oil that burned for an extra seven days. That's one answer to the question. Another answer to the question is that each day the oil burnt one-eighth. One-eighth of that oil burnt. So the first day there was a miracle too. Because it didn't all burn up as it would have in a normal way. But only one-eighth burnt the first day and another eighth burnt the second day. And that's how it lasted for eight days. That's another answer that the base of brings. The third answer is that he says, well, actually, the first day we remember the miracles of the war. The miracles of the war is what, not like the Maharal. And the miracles of the war is the first day because there were amazing miracles in the war. And the other days were the miracles of the oil. But my favorite answer to that question is the answer of the Ma'iri. The Ma'iri, the great Rishon, the Ma'iri, the Ma'iri, um, he lived a thousand years ago. And in fact, we lost the manuscripts of the Ma'iri. We didn't have his writings. And only when the Vatican opened up in the uh, 70s, the late 70s, and we had access to their archives, um, did we uh, um, access, that we found the full writings of the Mary, which is very, very exciting. I have a full set of the Mary on Shas, which is absolutely brilliant, and it's something that was of a recent finding. And he's got a beautiful answer to this question of why it is that we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days and not seven days when the miracle happened. But I'm going to share that answer with you after this ad break. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing the famous kasha of the base Yosef, the famous question of Rabbi Yosef Karo, why is Hanukkah eight days if the miracle is only seven days? And we brought a number of uh, answers to that question, but I'd like to share with you the answer of the great Rishon the Meiri. The Meiri says that the finding of the jar of oil itself was miraculous. The fact that they found the Hashmonaim when they went to the temple, the, the temple had been ransacked by the, the, the Greeks, they knowingly and deliberately destroyed everything um, in the temple. And to find after that, to find one uh, jar, one container of oil that still had the seal of the Kohen Gadol, Mary says that was miraculous. It was miraculous that they found any oil at all. It was from that oil that the miracle came. And um, so it's a, it's a very powerful and beautiful lesson we can learn from this answer of the Mary. And that is that to find that jar of oil was miraculous. And so we can learn from that in our times too. That in our times where Greek hedonism is rough and is pretty much the worldview of um, society in the 21st century, and that is that um, we're here to have a good time, we're here to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. We 
um, the, the world is uh, the focus of life and the world is the beautification of the body and of the human mind. That is the purpose of existence, is to beautify the body, is to worship the beauty of the body and to indulge in the pleasures of the beauty of the body and to also admire and um, ascribe to the development of the human mind, of the human intellect, of the, the ability of the human being to develop and for progress to be achieved in all areas of and all realms of existence. So that is pretty much Greek life and Greek focus. The Jewish response, the Jewish way, the Jewish understanding of life is, yes, there's a function of the body and there's a function of the mind, but those are only a means to serving a higher entity, to serving the creator of the universe, to serving God. In other words, our physical existence, our physical interaction with this world and our development of our mind is all in the pursuit of serving Hashem, of connecting with the divine, of reaching out and um, and having a relationship with the all-powerful creator of the universe. That's the purpose. The purpose is the soul. The purpose is spirituality. The purpose is developing ourselves spiritually. We are here. We're not here just for the physical body and mind. We're here in order that the body and mind become subservient to the soul and subservient to serving the creator. That's our purpose in existence. And that's the clash between Greek culture and Jewish, the Jewish view of life, the Jewish view of the world. And that's the clash between the Jewish view of the world and Western society is that we are, we're not only here to make money and to have a good time. We are here to develop ourselves spiritually, to nurture the soul, to give time and effort and focus on the depth of our being, on the source of our, of our existence. That is our soul, which is a spark of the divine. So says Meiri, to find that jar of oil in the darkness of Greek society and civilization is a miracle. So to find in the world today, that there's some pure oil that burns with the light of Torah in the darkness of this world of, of our Western civilization, that in of itself is miraculous. To find Jews that are dedicated to Hashem, that are dedicated to doing mitzvahs, that are dedicated to serving Hashem and building homes in which they keep the laws of Hashem, the laws of Kashrus, the laws of Shabbos, the laws of Torah, the Mishpacha, the light of Torah, um, illuminates that home of, of observing the mitzvahs, of learning Torah, that pure light in this world of darkness is in of itself miraculous, is a miracle. And from that miraculous jar of oil came miracles. So likewise, from those few individuals that are burning that pure light of Hashem in this world, so they are miraculous and miracles should come from them. They should live in a miraculous way. They are, are swimming against the tide and are bringing the light of Hashem into the world. And from them, so miracles will follow, will flow, will, will happen. And that's what we see in our world today. There are many different aspects to this. The fact that there are so many young people that have embraced Judaism, so many young Jews, men and women that have chosen to live a life of Torah mitzvahs, that have chosen to build their homes within the framework of Kedusha, of holiness, is absolutely miraculous. That's a jar of oil that's found despite the attempts of Greek civilization to destroy them. And from those magnificent jars that still exist, so there's tremendous light, and please God, there'll be wonderful miracles, 
that will come through those individuals that live that way and that make those choices. And that's, that's the, that really is the nature of the Jewish people. That's the, the makeup of the Jewish people. That's our DNA. Avram Avinu wasn't a normal person. He was a person who was miraculous and he lived by the miraculous. He was, he was, uh, lived by the supernatural. He connected with God in an incredible way. And that's the, always been the situation of the Jewish people. We small in number as we spoke last week about, about Hanukkah and Rabbin Biyad Ma'atim, many in the hands of the few. We always are the few. And the story of Eretz Israel, of, of the land of Israel, is we are few. We are small. We are surrounded by many, many millions that outnumber us and outarm us and out, um, have more, much more financial resources than we have. But we are Rabbin Biyad Ma'atim, the few, in the, in, in the hands of the many in the few. The few are the, are the ones that are victorious. And that is, the destiny and that is the story and that is the nature of the Jewish people and that's something that should inspire us all, that we should all aspire to be these jars of pure oil burning the light of godliness and of Torah in this dark world. Okay, so let's carry on. There are one or two other beautiful ideas of Hanukkah. Let me just share this one and then um, we'll we'll end off with a last one. Um an amazing thing is that if you spell the words Yavan and Sion, they're very, very similar. The word Yavan, which is the Hebrew word for Greece, for Greek, um, the Greek exile, the, the Greek civilization, it's a Yud Vav and a Nun. And if you, in your mind's eye, since we're on radio and I can't give you a, a visual display, you'll have to imagine it in your minds. A Yud is, is a short, long line. It's a short, vertical line. And then there's a second, uh, there's a longer vertical line, which is a vav, and then there's an even longer vertical line, which is a nun. So it's yud, vav, nun, it's one, two, three lines, each one longer than the other, from right to left. So that's yavan, because yavan represents this world, measuring this world, scientific discovery, exploration, development of the mind, development of technology, development of the human form. That's, that's what yavan stands for and represents. The Jewish people are all for that, but we got a tzaddi in front. We are Zion. The word for Zion, Zion, represents the Jewish people. It's Yavan, but there's a tzaddi in front of the Yavan, which means that, yes, we do measure this world, and we do live in this world, and we do develop this world, but it's all for the purpose of the tzaddi. It's all in order to develop a tzaddi, a tzaddik, a person who's righteous. It's all in order that we should connect this physical world with God with the eternal world. So that's Yavan versus Zion. Zion is about spirituality, about the soul, about using the physical in the service of the spiritual, whereas Yavan is just the physical in and of itself, a single dimensional obsession with the material physical world and, uh, and our benefit and uh, appetites in the physical world. We'll be back in a moment. Please stay with us. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. The last idea of Hanukkah that I'd like to share with you this afternoon is an idea I heard from Rabbi Elimelech Biederman, a beautiful idea. The Gemara in Tani says that what was the um, what were the things that the Greeks enforced very vigorously and made sure the Jews didn't observe? So 
The Midrash does say Rosh Chodesh Emila, but the Gemara actually says very interestingly, Shelo Lahavi Eitzim Ba'amaracha, that they couldn't bring the wood that was dedicated for the sacrifices that they would use on the Mizbeach. Shelo Yavo Bikurim, and they couldn't bring Bikurim. Bikurim were the first fruits that the Jewish farmers would bring when the harvest um, was done and the first fruits had were um, harvested. So there would be a, a, an incredible ceremony of the farmers bringing their first fruits and dedicating them to the temple. And that was done with the, the they brought them in uh, silver and golden vessels and there was music and there was singing and there was dancing and there was celebration. And it was the whole of Yerushalayim participated in these incredible events of uh, dedication um, to the temple of the Beis HaMikdash. So it's an amazing thing. The Greeks were not worried about Jews doing a mitzvah here and there. They weren't worried about a Jew, you know, by davening mincha or putting on tefillin. Because most of the time when we do those things, we're a little bit disconnected. We do them out of habit. It's dry. It's dead. There's no life. in There always should be life. Our goal is every time we do any mitzvah, there's an enthusiasm and there's a joy and there's a sense of privilege to be able to connect with the creator of the universe by fulfilling his commandments. That that really should be the way we do every mitzvah. But unfortunately, as human beings, we get into a routine and we do things out of rote and out of habit. And when it becomes dry and habitual as opposed to alive and fresh and exciting, so it doesn't have much of an impact on us. The things that the Greeks identified that the dangers to them and to their worldview and for the Jews to be galvanized and to stand up against and, and reject the Greek worldview would be those things where there was simcha, those things where there was joy, those things where there was a sense of celebration and a, and a happiness involved in fulfilling those observances, those commandments. And that's very much what the Maharacha and the Bikurim were. They were done with a huge amount of, of fanfare, and of, of, of uh, celebration and of dancing and of joy. So, and that's what the Rambam actually says very interesting in Hilchas Chanukah. The, the Rambam says, Chanukah, they made simcha v'halal. The Gemara says that Chanukah are days of halal v'hoda, of praise and of thanks to God for those miracles. But the Rambam says they simcha v'halal. We have to have simcha. And if we don't have simcha, so then they're not going to be alive and fresh and powerful, have an impact. They're not going to touch us in the depth of our being. And that's why um, the uh, the Arizal was very the great Kabbalist. The Arizal was very strong on teaching his students to serve Hashem with joy. Ivdu es Hashem b'simcha. It's through the joy that we actually connect to the the depth of what we're doing and the significance of what we're doing. So we should always have joy, have simcha in our mitzvahs, in our in what we're doing, in serving Hashem. Realize what an honor and privilege it is. That we actually, as a human being down in this physical world, we're connecting to eternity by fulfilling the commandments of the king. There's no greater source for simcha than that. And we should try and generate the enthusiasm in simcha every time we do a mitzvah. And the Greeks knew that. They knew that when there was joy involved, that was dangerous to them. That would threaten them and their worldview and imposing their worldview on the Jews and uh, making the Jews misyavnim, uh, assimilating the Jews. And when the, joys, the Jews had joy, so they would realize what they're doing and they would uh, oppose and rebel against them. It's a beautiful way to end our time together. So please God, we should all celebrate Hanukkah and light our menorah 
and have joy when we do so and uh, connect to the essence and beauty and holiness of this festival. And please, God, we should all see the lights of Torah burn in this dark world, see the lights of Hashem in our presence and in our lives, and see the lights of miracles of God for us as individuals and for all of Klal Yisrael. Chanukah Sameach, and thank you for listening.